0: Friends, I just want to take a moment to welcome our guest preacher today, Jason Biasi from Vancouver School of Theology. I uh, first got wind of Jason actually about 10 years ago. He's a very prolific author. He's written on a number of subjects within the realm of Christian life practice and theology. Very prolific and uh, numerous articles, many books. And I've always been curious about him. I would never had the opportunity to meet him. And I thought, well, by God, why don't we just bring him here so we can just say hello and <laughs> get acquainted. So it's my pleasure to have Jason join us today. Thanks for making the long trek, Jason. We're very glad to have you. And his good spouse, Jalen, is here as well. And you'll be able to say hello to them afterwards. Jason, welcome. Morning. I am the aforementioned Jason Biase, and I'm delighted to preach in this beautiful church. Thank you, Stephen, for that warm introduction and Christ Church for listening to me. I'm told that this church, this city, this country are eaten up with a certain judge's nomination to the Supreme Court and all the drama about whether that one will become a justice. I don't know anything about that. I live in some other country, And I have an accent that shows I'm not from here or there, I'm from a third place. Uh, Though President Trump regularly mocks my adopted country, Canada, and people with my native accent, Southern. So, tempted as I am to weigh in on President Trump, judge maybe Justice Kavanaugh and a certain Senate hearing that may or may not have the pertinent testimony this week, you didn't bring me here to opine about politics, and I'm no expert on any of it. In the church, the question is this, is there a word from the Lord? And I believe there is. It is about wisdom, Lady Wisdom. Let us listen and believe this woman. When I did my first ever funeral 20 years ago, the family chose this passage that you heard earlier from Proverbs 31. They wanted to say they loved and honored their mother and grandmother, and this passage gave them the best words to do that. I'll never forget her name, Mary Stuart Folks. May light perpetual fall on her face. The interrogative mood of the first verse is perfect. A virtuous woman, who can find? We found one, I said, and her name is Mary Stuart Folks. May she rest in peace and rise in glory It's enough to make you wonder, what passage do you want read at your funeral? Because that day's coming, sooner than any of us want. What do you want the whole shape of your life to look like, looking back from the end? May all of our lives add up to the glory of this one woman's life in Scripture. Ellen Davis, my Old Testament teacher at Duke, says this woman in Proverbs 31 is praised more highly than any other human being in the entire Bible. Moses is praised, but he also makes mistakes and is criticized. Paul is praised, he also makes mistakes and is criticized. Even Jesus' mother, Mary, is gently rebuked a time or two. Not the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31. Nothing but praise for her. In Orthodox Jewish households, this passage is read on Friday night as part of the Shabbat blessing. After the Sabbath candles are lit, the Father blesses the children with words from Scripture, and then he looks at his wife through candlelight and says these words of blessing that I just read every week all their lives. And then often when she dies, these same words are read over her at her funeral. She is clothed in these words from Scripture, words of dignity and honor and respect. We should listen to this woman, don't you think? Our New Testament passage also refers to wisdom. It shows Jesus has listened but it's also a bit less dignified, a bit more like our rough and tumble political climate. It starts with John the Baptist, who is disappointed in Jesus. He baptized Jesus, he pumped Jesus up to his friends, and then Jesus seems more interested in having parties than saving the world. The Messiah's job is to be a king like David and make Israel great again, but Jesus is too busy partying He's too fat and drunk to do the job. There's a clue in this church. The church should be known by the quality of our parties. I think we're more often thought of as frowny faced judges of others, but did Jesus ever love a party? He eats and drinks his way through the Gospels. You can hardly open a page of the Gospels anywhere without a reference to Jesus eating. He's constantly eating. He is the very hungry caterpillar. (laughs) John is impatient. He wants Jesus to act, but Jesus will not. We may also want a God who will do what we want, protest what we protest, get outraged at what outrages us, but instead Jesus does what he wants, not what we want. So we serve him, not the reverse. He endlessly forgives sins honors women, builds a church of outcasts and losers, not a country club for kings and judges, because everyone is invited to Jesus' parties. The only ones not at Jesus' parties are people who've decided themselves not to be there. Jesus says this strange thing in our text. He says, "...wisdom is proved right by all her children." Jesus is drawing on the wisdom tradition in Israel's scripture, from which Proverbs 31 comes, that you heard before. He is proving wisdom true. He asked John to look around. Signs of the kingdom are blooming everywhere. The blind see, the sick are healed, the dead are raised, the poor hear good news. Be wise, John. Yes, there's a party going on. It's a party of people using eyes that they've never used before, listening through ears that have been stopped, sick people dancing with crutches and canes. Yeah, it's a lot of noise and ruckus, John, but what do you expect? This isn't a morgue. It's a paradise. John's people are not convinced, and they go home grumbling. But Jesus doesn't mind. He praises John. That's a real man. John the Baptist, he says, An Old Testament mensch, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. John sums up all that has come before and been good. Jesus is the new normal. Jesus is wisdom from God in our flesh. Now look, wisdom has always been with us. There is wisdom in every culture. There's also foolishness in every culture, right? Right? What's new with Jesus is that wisdom now has a pancreas and a spleen and a Jewish mom. The very blueprint, the sketch by which God made the world is here as a human being, and so everyone should delight. The way God intends for all humanity is breaking out in our midst, no illness, no death, no misery, only joy. Tell me that's not worth a party. Jesus understands that John can't see this and he doesn't blame him. He just hopes that maybe even us religious types like John the Baptist and Judge Kavanaugh and Christine Blasey Ford and Baptists in Vancouver and Methodists in New York and Christians and all religious people and even irreligious people will rejoice with Jesus one day and all his weird friends. Introduction over. Time for the sermon. It's a joke. Come on. Sort of. What to say? Wisdom is a powerful woman in the Bible who helps Christians imagine what the Son of God is like before he becomes incarnate of the Virgin Mary. Proverbs says God has always had his wisdom. When has God ever been without his wisdom? God made the world according to wisdom. Wisdom danced and delighted in creation like a little girl helping with a project that her parent is doing. Well, the church has imagined that personified figure is sort of like the Son of God before Jesus' birth. She is with God, advising God, delighting in God, while God sparks Adam to life. Wisdom is older than Adam, full of mirth, God's right hand woman. Jesus himself says, Wisdom is proved right by all her children. Proved right is a very important Christian word. It's the word translated elsewhere in Scripture as justified. Wisdom is justified by all her children. What does that mean? There is a powerful woman at the heart of the biblical story who is justified, proved right by her children. And that woman is the church. The best, maybe even the only argument for why the gospel is true is a church that acts like we believe it. One ancient teacher said, no one can have God for a father without the church for a mother. The church births wisdom in us. That's why we meet for worship and Bible study and prayer groups. It's why we visit the sick and have camps for kids. It's why we founded schools and universities. We're trying to grow in wisdom, trying to cultivate it. That's what it means to be disciples, to have our whole lives, including our minds, wrapped around Jesus. Wisdom is justified by her children. In other words, the quality of the church's life together shows whether the gospel is true. That's important. Let me say that again quality of the church's life together shows whether the gospel is true. There is a place for arguing about the truth of faith. We have libraries and we start colleges for a reason. But the best way to show the gospel's truth is to live it out as a community. To throw parties where people are invited and treasured who aren't invited or treasured anywhere else. To heal and teach good news and raise the dead like Jesus. Let's show our city there's more to life than making money. Let's show our city there's more to life than superficial beauty. Let's show our city that the grave is conquered by Christ. We can do that, can't we, church? But maybe our neighbors aren't interested. They may have heard that the Bible is what justifies abusing and ignoring and dishonoring women. I'm here today with a Canadian address and a southern accent to tell you that is not so. The claim that the Bible says women should stay at home and cook and clean and make babies is not in the Bible. Now, those are good things to do. Households need food and cleanliness. And if there are no babies, soon there will be no household at all. But the Bible does not teach that those are things only women can do or that women have to do those things to be valid human beings. Lots of Christians and non-Christians think that. They just disagree on whether the Bible is right. Meanwhile, where the church is growing in places outside of New York or Western Canada or North Carolina, people join because Christian faith offers an honored place to women. God is born of a woman, after all. The passage from Proverbs 31 shows how and why we honor women. The passage is about an eshet chayil in Hebrew. It's often translated a wife of noble character, and that's right, but a chayil means more than that. The same word is used in scripture to describe a military leader, a person of moral renown, a governor. In social media lingo today, we would call her a boss. If she was an athlete, we would admiringly describe her as a beast. Verse 15 says this of her. She gets up while it is still dark. She provides food for her family. The image is of a mother lion hunting for prey or of a conquering soldier looking for booty to carry off. This woman is a lion, a general And then Proverbs 31, 17 says, she sets out about her work vigorously. The Hebrew says she is robed in splendor, clothed in majesty. There's someone else clothed in majesty in the Bible, and that is God Almighty. Some of the most ancient language we have for baptism in the church is that we come up out of the water naked like the day we were born, and we are clothed in Christ wrapped up with the one who is wrapped up with God. That's how the eshet chayil, the woman of valor, is clothed in Proverbs 31, with splendor and majesty. Jalen and I had friends in town from North Carolina earlier in the summer and we took them to a park called Lynn Canyon in North Vancouver. It's what British Columbians do to impress people from other places. You take them to where the trees are tall and the canyons are deep. And the suspension bridge will make you queasy. And there's a boulder there that our sons love to run and try and run up. Because it's hard. They usually slide back down before they eventually make it. So we start on our way there and I say, hey, look at this rock. And before I can finish the sentence, my friend's 11-year-old girl tears off down the path. She needed no one to instruct her on what to do. She didn't make it the first time, so she came back took a breath, bore her teeth, and off she went. And she scaled the top and roared, glorious in victory. Now, in a few years' time, many people will evaluate her on one question alone, her looks, very narrowly defined. The Bible says, no, she is so much more than that. She is a soul stamped with the image of God, She can be powerful and needs apologize to no one for that. Her looks don't matter. Her virtue does. Listen to her. This is something else about the Eshet Chael, the virtuous woman. Her physical beauty is not remarked upon. Lots of Israel's neighbors had poetry praising women, but it usually praises them for their looks. Proverbs is not interested in superficial things. Verse 31:30 30 says this charm is deceptive beauty is fleeting but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised Now the passage does comment on her body but it comments again and again on her hands She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands 7 times the story mentions her hands She makes her own fabric before she sews clothes for her family, and as if that weren't enough, she dyes it all purple and scarlet, royal colors. She reminds me of a woman from the Canadian Prairie where it was frozen 30 degrees below zero in the 1800s who would make quilts for her family, and she said, "'I make them warm to keep my family from freezing. "'I make them beautiful to keep my heart from breaking.'" She's a businesswoman. She sells in the marketplace. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. She is active in multiple businesses. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Ellen Davis says, this is the most detailed job description we have anywhere in the ancient world of any ordinary person's work, not just in the Bible. And the very best thing she does with her hands is this. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. In other words... She's a lot like God. Now, as I talk, I can feel many of you feeling very, very tired. If Proverbs 31 is the model for how to be a woman. So, all right, I already have to run a household, make it look effortless. Now I have to also be able to be a soldier, run multiple businesses, and be cheerful too, right? I mean, life is hard enough already. This is one of the ironies of modernity. It is right to say that women can do what men can do. But often in the 20th century, we just added things to women's portfolios that were stereotypically male jobs, but we didn't take anything away. So sure, women can be soldiers and CEOs now, but they still have to look sexy. (laughs) Folks used to say with great solemnity that behind every great man was a great woman. Then we made fun of that. Behind every great man is a woman rolling her eyes. Now we say, wait, she can be the man? (laughs) But even the old great man had someone at home keeping the household afloat. This is a ridiculous set of demands for any one person. No one can do it all. So no wonder you're tired. Here's the thing. The gospel does not say try harder. It says God has already done everything we need. We respond with awe, delight, and love. But we don't have to do anything because God has already done everything. God is mending back together every fault line that we human beings have ripped open, including gender, politics, religion, and God is doing it through the church, marvel of marvels. There is not a hurt out there that will not be healed one day. The church has long noticed aspects of God in this eshet chayel, this virtuous woman, and I think this is wise. No mere human being is praised this highly anywhere in the Bible, and maybe that's because she's no mere human being. Wisdom in the Bible is a figure of speech, a personification, until it becomes a person When we realize that Jesus is God in our flesh after he dies and is raised for our salvation, we see wisdom in the Bible as a glimpse beforehand of God in our skin. So anytime now we see wisdom, we think of Jesus, God working to save. The church has long been spoken of as a feminine figure, a mother, one who births us in faith and nurtures us and nurses us. Women have always played a disproportionate role in educating children, first their own children and then other people's children. I sometimes joke that we kept ordination for men for so long until the 1950s in United Methodism because otherwise women would have the whole church. You already have for so long. Jesus speaks of himself in feminine terms at times, saying he longs to gather up Israel like a hen does her chicks. And the church has sometimes wondered about the Holy Spirit as the feminine face of God. She's the person of the Trinity who you can't see because she's always pointing to Jesus. Just like you can't see God the Father because God the Father sends Jesus. God the Holy Trinity wants all our attention, all our love focused on Jesus, becoming like Christ, loving Christ. And it takes women and men in the body of Christ to do that. So, don't look at this list of the virtuous woman's characteristics and despair at falling short. Look at it and see God, who never falls short. God who empowers us to do more than we can ask or imagine, even if we can't imagine getting out of bed one more day. Look at her and see the church, who births us in faith and nurtures us to maturity in Christ. Look at her and see God, who protects and provides and loves No individual alone can be an eshet chayil. All of us, church, can together be the woman God dreams about, the eshet chayil, full of valor and might and beauty, a virtuous woman who can find. We found one. We are one. And her name is the Church of Jesus Christ. Amen.